our job as lexicographers is to kind of track the English language and all its glories and warts and its foibles and all that. And it is really a lovely thing to do because it's endlessly entertaining. The spelling AX really just had a few good years in the late 20th century. Coming up on Word Matters, a show for those who have an axe to grind about lecterns and podia, or podiums. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. Whether you use it for chopping or throwing, we're curious. Does your axe have an E at the end or not? Your answer might depend on when you started writing the word. The dominant spelling isn't what it always was. Next up, I'll take a whack at the story of the spellings of axe. So there's a household tool. It's an outdoor tool called an axe, right? Long-handled, heavy metal blade. You can spell it A-X or A-X-E. Peter and Ammon, how do you each spell this word? Uh, it depends on how generous the E gods have been that month. I always just have an innate feeling that whatever I say, it's going to be wrong, <laughs> even when there's no wrong answer. I go with AX. Yeah, I would usually use it AX. AXE if I was feeling extra fancy that day. Yeah, right? The E feels fancy. I agree the E feels fancy. They're both totally fine. AX, AXE, they are both completely fine. Noah Webster in his 1828, an American dictionary of the English language, spelled it only, unsurprisingly, given his penchant for simple spelling, he spelled it A-X, and then he wrote a note, improperly written as ax, A-X-E. <laughs> this is in direct defiance to Samuel Johnson, who in 1755, in his Dictionary of the English Language, did not include the shortened form, just spelled it A-X-E. But the E is not actually justifiable, certainly not in pronunciation, right? In theory, a terminal E influences the vowel, and we don't really have many examples of a terminal E influencing a vowel across the barrier of an X. But in theory, you could justify the E by pronouncing the word aches, but nobody does. And the E on the end of ax is also not justified by the word's etymology at all. So the Old English, it was the A-E ligature called the ash. C-S is how you spelled the word ax. And then there is an Old High German, A-C-K-U-S, Latin A-S-C-I-A. And even before that, it goes all the way back to a, a Greek A-X-I-N-E with a macron over the E. But there's no real good solid etymological argument for including the E. And yet, the E spelling persists. And here's what I found completely fascinating when I was researching this. Noah Webster, of course, is responsible for many of the spelling differences between British English and American English, as we have talked about many times. And I had thought, well, okay, well, maybe the A-X spelling is the spelling that is dominant in American English, and the A-X-E spelling is the spelling that is mm, dominant mm. in non-U.S. English. But that's not at all the case. The spelling A-X really just had a few good years mm -hmm. in the late 20th century. But A-X-E was the dominant spelling everywhere before then, and it is now. It's interesting. Webster sort of famously didn't like double letters, and silent letters. And this would fall in the second category. How did he spell deluxe? <laughs> That's a good question. That uh, is a very good I question. I can look it up in his... Because, uh, that seems to me to be the only other common English word that ends with an X-E. And you don't pronounce it deluxe. A deluxe -E. Unless you're Cole Porter. <laughs> but he did not enter it. 
Oh. So that term may have been kind of new. It's interesting issue. There's a parallel here with the word ads, A-D-Z or A-D-Z-E. The woodcutting tool. The woodcutting tool, which has a, a Germanic etymology, and that we give as a variant spelling, the more common one with an E, just as Emily just explained, and the less commonly one, just A-D-Z. It's sort of interesting. These are parallel utensils. And with a parallel sort of spelling. Yeah, that's very interesting. They're, they're both beloved by Scrabble players. <laughs> it's very helpful in the game of Scrabble to be yeah. able to do either one for sure. AX, that shorter spelling, was going strong in the 1980s and the 1990s. But after that point, it really starts to drop off. And there are two things that may have had an influence. We will never know for sure if they did or not. But the fact is that what spellings we prefer has a lot to do with the spellings that we encounter mm-hmm. out in the wild, right? A spelling looks right. That's how you know whether mm-hmm. or not to use a particular spelling. It has to look right. And also it helps if it doesn't have the wavy red line underneath it. In 1993, a movie came out called So I Married an Axe Murderer. <laughs> yeah. And the makers of this movie chose to spell it A-X-E. And then in 2002, Unilever started selling Axe body spray in the United States, and that is also spelled A-X-E. So we can blame this on Dude Bros and Mike Myers? Is that (laughs) that what it all comes down to? Only anecdotally, but sure. Close enough for me. And again, this is certainly not anything that we can prove, but we can point to these things and say, huh, that's interesting. Well, familiarity, as David Crystal has said, breeds content. The version that you see more frequently is the version that will become standard for you. I do wonder also if the E just feels fancier. Maybe it smells better. You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. We'll be back after the break with some possibly disappointing news about the word podium. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Ammon Shea. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for the Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org. say you're going to address a group of people to, say, give a speech or read some poetry, you're going to stand on a raised platform, and you're going to stand behind a piece of furniture where you can 
lay out your notes and also stash a water bottle. What are you on? And what are you standing behind? You know where this is going, don't you? That's right. The great lectern podium debate. Ammon sets it up. Our job as lexicographers is to kind of track the English language and all its glories and warts and its foibles and all that. And it is really a lovely thing to do because it's endlessly entertaining. Seeing words change, semantic broadening, shifts, functional shifts, a word changes parts of speech. All these things are really kind of like seeing kind of incorporate little babies being born <laughs> all the time. And then there are the kind of incorporate drunken uncles who show up and ruin it for everybody all the time. In this case, that is whenever somebody uses the word podium to mean lectern or vice versa. Mm. And suddenly, a sizable portion of the English-speaking people seem to think the world is burning. We turn to Twitter, we see things like, you know how you can tell someone is stupid is when they say podium when they mean lectern. <laughs> It was a lector, not a podium. So-and-so is too stupid to know the difference. People really attach a great significance sure. to distinguishing between these two words. And so what happens is when somebody uses one to mean the other and people come to our dictionary and look it up just so they can say, ha, 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 they find out that we define podium sense to be as lectern. Lectern. <laughs> Suddenly, how distressing things feel very uncertain in life. Now, um, for people who really do conflate them, Ammon, you have to say what the prescribed difference is. But what are these things? For people for whom this is deeply important, a podium is a thing upon which you stand when making an address. It's a dais, especially for an orchestral conductor. Mm. You stand on a podium, you stand at a lectern. A lectern is a small piece of furniture which is approximately waist or chest height, and it's the thing upon which you rest a book and you read a speech or you read from a Bible or something like that. Or you hide behind it. You hide behind <laughs> the lectern. You have a microphone on the lectern, possibly. Although a microphone on a stand could also be on a podium. But mm. the main difference is that you stand on a podium, you stand at a lectern. We also define podium as lectern. Right. We do not define lectern as a podium, of course. So nope. it, it really only goes one way. And the reason we do not define lectern as podium, but we do define podium as lectern, is because, and I don't want to ruin anybody's day, it's because that is how a large portion of the English-speaking people use this word. It is very common for people to use podium to mean the thing that you stand at. Very few people say he was standing on the lectern. You really don't hear that. But people often say he was standing on the podium, and they often say he was standing at the podium, or she was standing at the podium, or she was standing on the podium. You never hear she was standing on the lectern. Mm -hmm. So we don't do this to hurt anyone's feelings. It's cataloging the way that the English people are using it and have for a considerable length of time. And this distinction that is drawn, I think, partly comes from people who respect and know the etymologies because lectern it comes from to read in Latin. A lector is at the lectern. The but, root legere, right, to read. And yep. podium has that pod, which is the same as ped, which means foot. I have no sympathy for the etymological <laughs> purists because they're only purists when it serves their purposes. That's, no, quite true. The people who insist that decimate properly means to kill one out of every ten never say that December is actually the tenth month of the year. Exactly. You know, suddenly it's the twelfth month of the year. Deck is fine for twelve when it's Christmas time. And there's a name for that. We call it etymological fallacy. Yeah, I call it something a little more rude than that, but let's stick with that for now. Linguists call this etymological fallacy. And the point being, English is this mongrel language that is living and changing. And uh, using the Latin roots from which these words were built is not the way that we define them today. 
This conflation of these two particular terms, though, is a relatively new phenomenon. It's from the mid-20th century. Right. So... It's not as though people have been calling the lectern a podium for hundreds and hundreds of years now. No, and the fact is that really the word lectern is just used less and less. Nobody really likes the word lectern, and maybe that's because it's so hard to spell. I always want to make the second vowel a U instead of an E. Lectern, yeah. Yeah, so I'll just use podium. And for the plural, the plural of podium, you have the option of using podia, which is really fun. Sure, or podiums. Emily, can you think of any other similar or related pieces of furniture or furnishings <laughs> like this where one is distinguished subtly and are not so subtly from the other? I don't know. Like, is a couch different from a sofa, a love seat? Is the difference between an ottoman and a hassock? Yeah. Oh. People don't. A really, tuffet. Right, a tuffet, a footrest. A poof. A love seat and a sofa and a chaise longue or chaise lounge, as it were. We have a lot of names for these things. But this is also the case of podium lectern. This is how language evolves. It may be that centuries from now, people will have to explain that a podium used to be separate from this thing that is called a lectern. We may be seeing a slow evolution of the language. What I think is interesting about this is that, and I use interesting in a very broad sense of the word because I'm using it to mean kind of irritating and boring. But what I think is interesting about this is that it is very clear from context what is meant, and it's clear from the surrounding words. If you hear somebody say he was standing at the podium, you know that what he really secretly means is <laughs> lectern. He's at the piece of furniture. And if you hear somebody say she was standing on the podium, then you know it's likely that she was standing on the raised platform. And the fact that many people get so exercised about this, I'm reminded of when Henry Kissinger was said to have said, uh, why do academics fight so much? The answer being, of course, because the stakes are so low. I feel like that is why people fight about this so much. It really does not matter whether you call it a podium or lectern, as long as your intent and your meaning is clear. And I think in almost all cases, it really is clear. People like to be right about the distinctions that they make. For sure. We don't talk about this a lot, but one reason people look up words in the dictionary is to correct somebody else. That's a very frequent use. However, and I will say in the defense of those people, There is a distinction that is easily drawn using these words, and I think because it's easily drawn, they want to perpetuate it. There are other words that we more or less arbitrarily distinguish, like further and farther, for example. Some people use them slightly differently, and I find that to be a useful distinction, for example. I would not impose it on anyone else, but I find it useful. Only in my own mind. (laughs) Uh, You can distinguish between bring and take. That's a good one. And there are circumstances in which one could argue that something is being lost or Mm -hmm. obscured by using the wrong one. However, there are also a number of other cases where the surrounding words, such as to or from, make it very, very clear. That's right. And I think that's the point at which if one insists that that is the wrong word, even though I understood precisely what you meant, you said it in the wrong manner, (laughs) I feel like that is an unwelcome approach to language. (laughs) Right. Are you trying to communicate meaning or are you trying to communicate your own erudition? And I think this brings up what a really good copy editor is, which is someone with a very broad sense of correctness. In other words, understanding these distinctions, but also understanding when it's important to draw them. And when doing that draws attention to your choice of words rather than the ideas they're expressing. I think Emily brought up a a really excellent point here, which is that lectern is becoming much less common than it once Mm -hmm. was. And so I think that there is the strong possibility that were one to insist on this as the precise correct word over the course of time, it would itself become less and less clear. Were one to insist on an increasingly archaic or obsolete sense or use of a word, then it's really just about your own correctness rather than about the kind of efficacy of communication. 
There's another kind of platform with another Latin word, which is rostrum, R-O-S-T-R-U-M, rostrum. And we do allow the plural rostra along with rostrums. And it comes from a platform for speakers in the Roman Forum. So far, so good. But here's the interesting part. Decorated with the beaks of captured ships. And the beaks of captured ships, that's the etymology of this word because a ship's beak in Latin was rostrum or rostrum from rodere, the verb meaning to gnaw. And rodere, meaning to gnaw, is the etymology of the word rodent which has a gnawing beak. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> Who wants great. to stand on a rodent? <laughs> I think it's obvious that just middle brows use podium or podia and real high brows use rostra or rostrums. But then there's also deus. Deus is a great word and it's actually kind of a hard word to pronounce, isn't it? I have to admit something here. I typically pronounce it dias. So but, do I. And I always misspell it too. But our dictionary gives a little label at the dias pronunciation that says non-standard. I mm-hmm. thought the label said, come on, Emily, get it together. <laughs> dais comes from discus, high table from the Latin word meaning disc, dish, dais, something flat. Yeah, somewhere out there, there's probably a, a weird little subsection of Twitter where people argue viciously whether it's the dais or the rostrum that the speaker was, was standing at. <laughs> Only stupid people say dais or the uncultured used rostrum. Let's hope they don't find our email address. Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us wherever you get your podcasts or email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by Adam Maid and John Vosey. For Peter Sokolowski and Amon Shea, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.